Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me on my left for tonight's episode of the County Cricket Podcast is none other than every single person's favourite up-and-coming cricket journalist, Mr. Kieran McCarthy. So Kieran, first things first, mate, great to have you back on the podcast for a chat about all things county cricket and the mighty Metro Bank One Day Cup. I've got to ask, mate, how's your day been so far? It's been good, thanks. You put a little bit more mustard on the introduction um, than usual, which was nice. To be honest, mate, I'm in a great mood. If, if you can't tell, listeners, I'm in a fantastic mood because I've just been loving the Metro Bank One Day Cup. I really have. It's Every single year, it seems to be. I just get this overwhelming sense of joy and excitement over this competition. But I don't know, 2023, it just seems even more pronounced. I'm not sure if that's just me. It might just be a, a case of, of Metro Bank fever, but I've definitely come up with some symptoms over the course of these last three weeks because it, it's been a very, very good tournament so far. And yeah, it's a little bit bittersweet, isn't it, this episode, Kieran? Because obviously there's still some games left in this tournament, but we are at the end of the group stages. And they've been very, very memorable, as we'll discuss over the course of this podcast. And for those who, who maybe aren't aware with how our Metro Bank One Day Cup review shows work, essentially we just go through each of the groups and we look back on the standout batting, bowling displays, our under-25 players of the week, and of course our standout team of the week. But because the group stages have concluded, I think it's best to start today's episode with a look at the tables, seeing as we have now reached a conclusion to this stage of the campaign. So we'll start with Group A, and at the top of Group A, in the top position, were Leicestershire County Cricket Club on 14 points. In second, having qualified for the quarterfinals, are Hampshire, also on 14 points. And in third, the final team in Group A to reach those quarterfinal stages are Lancashire on 10 points. And then making up the rest of the group in fourth and fifth, we've got Kent and Nottinghamshire respectively on eight points and seven points. In sixth, we're Yorkshire on six points. In seventh, we're Middlesex on five points. In eighth, we're Surrey also on five points, but with a slightly inferior run rate. And then in ninth and bottom place of Group A were Essex, having only registered three points. Now, looking at Group B, at the top, a very nice sight, this I've got to say, were the Bay and Ragged staff of Warwickshire. They have secured that home semi final on Tuesday, the 29th of August at Edgebaston after topping the group with 14 points. In second place were Gloucestershire, having secured a home quarterfinal on 12 points. And in third place, having secured the away quarterfinal, are Worcestershire, also on 12 points. And then making up the rest of the group, we have Glamorgan in fourth on nine points, Durham in fifth on seven points, Northants in sixth on six points, Somerset in seventh on six points as well, but again, with a slightly inferior net run rate. In eighth were Derbyshire on four points, and in ninth and bottom place of Group B was Sussex on two points. Now, I've just alluded to it there, but the group stages are now at a conclusion. They're finished, they're in the history books, and as a result, we're looking ahead to the quarterfinals. Now, the first quarterfinal takes place on Friday the 25th of August, and we'll see Gloucestershire take on Lancashire in Bristol. So, Kieran, right off the bat, predictions. Who do you think is going to win that game? You've got Gloucestershire, who have been in fantastic form. We'll discuss them in a lot more length as the podcast progresses. Taking on a Lancashire side, who have won their last three games. They're really undergoing a bit of resurgence in the 50-over formats in this year's competition. So, how do you see that game going? And who do you think will face Leicestershire in that semi-final on Tuesday the 29th of August? I have actually been really impressed by Gloucestershire. Um, 
they've uh, a lot of sort of young players that have really come to the fore this season. Um, the Price brothers, sort of uh, at the top of that list, both seemingly uh, happen to do something every week. Um, you know, this this last week, no different. Um, but I think Lanks were the only side. Lanks are the only side still in that I actually predicted would get through to the knockouts. So for that reason, like, I think I have to just stick with them just to potentially be right. Um, and I probably will still be wrong um, because, as I say, I think they're the only side that I, I did predict that are still in. Um, but to be honest, as you say, on a good run of form, um, though Gloucestershire are as well, obviously, or they wouldn't be um, at this stage of the tournament. Um, I do feel like Lancashire are a little bit more of an experienced side. Um, and, you know, just the, the first team quality players, there are potentially um, a few more um, on their side. Um, that, that can sort of take a game away. So um, I will have to go for Lancashire slightly just because they are the only side left that, that I thought we were going to get to this stage of the competition. So, you know, maybe I have to get something right at some point, um, but I do think it's going to be a very good game. Um, and I could certainly see both sides going through. They wouldn't both be at this stage of the competition if if it wasn't possible for both of them to go through. But I, I would just say that, in my opinion, Lancashire could just edge it. That's interesting, mate, because I've actually gone the opposite way. I've gone with Gloucestershire. I do think that Gloucestershire will probably win that game purely because, A, they're a very, very strong home side, and B, they've just been outstanding in Group B. They really have. They had a little bit of a of a slip-up against the two West Midlands sides in that game against Warwickshire and, of course, against Worcestershire. Those were their only two defeats, though. Other than that, they've been brilliant. They've got Ollie Price, who is the main man. He's the guy in form. You've got Ben Wells, who's just come off the back of scoring his maiden list a century. And their bowling as well has been pretty good, to be honest. You know, with the additions of Anwar Ali, and then, of course, you've got the spin of Zafar Gohar, I do fancy Gloucestershire's chances, to be honest, at this stage in the competition. So just to mix things up, Kieran, you've gone with Lancashire. I'll back the glorious Gloucesters, just so we've got a little bit of, of variation and variety on today's podcast. But we'll wait and see. As you said, that is going to be an absolutely mouth-watering clash on Friday, the 25th of August. But aside from that first quarter final. Then we have the second quarterfinal on Sunday the 27th, which sees Hampshire take on Worcestershire at the Aegeus Bowl. And Kieran, the exact same question, looking at those two sides, who do you back to go through and face the bare and ragged staff of Warwickshire on Tuesday the 29th of August? I would lean towards Hampshire for this one. I think they have um, been in a good position for the majority of, of the group stage um, and the form of late has been very good. Um, I think certainly won the last three games on the bounce, potentially the last four, um, and have done so, a lot of them in, in quite commanding fashion. Um, and, you know, just very good wins, like the win against Yorkshire um, by 177 runs. Um, admittedly, not a fantastic Yorkshire side um, and haven't been in great form themselves. Um, but, the Kent game, a tight chase of, of a big number in, in 300 plus. Um, the Surrey game was a, was another commanding win for them. Um, and they beat Lancashire, another side who um, have reached the quarterfinals um, late on by bowling them out. So I think the form coming into the game is possibly slightly better. Um, and I think they should be able to ride that into the semi-finals. To be honest, Kieran, I'd agree with that analysis. I've also gone with the Rose and Crown of Hampshire. I think, A, they're incredibly strong at home, but 
the the more important factor for me is their bowling. We we'll, we'll touch upon this later on in the podcast because one of their bowlers, Ian Holland, has just been in incredible form, hasn't he? Took that five for in Guildford, took a three for the other day at the Isle of Wight. He is in really really good form, and I just look at that Hampshire attack and their bowling outfits. I feel like at this stage of the competition, when the pressure's on, you really do have to rely on your bowling units. And Hampshire have got one of the most reliable and dependable ones in the entire tournament right now. So I'll also back Hampshire. But Worcestershire are a very, very interesting side. Again, I think that both these quarterfinals are going to be incredibly closely fought affairs because, again, Worcestershire have almost a, a dynamic element to their side. And that, for me, is their batting. And one player in particular is Kashif Ali. If he comes to the party, and if he can just take the attack to those Hampshire bowlers, get a quick 550, or who knows, even reach three figures, all of a sudden, they'll really fancy their chances against the Rose and Crown of Hampshire. So we'll have to wait and see, but yeah, we're both going Hampshire then in that second quarter final, which, as a result, would mean we'd have semi-finals of Leicestershire versus Gloucestershire in my case, Leicestershire versus Lancashire in your case, and then in both of our cases a Warwickshire versus Hampshire semi-final. Goodness me. To be honest, no matter the combination, it's looking tasty, isn't it, heading into the semi-finals? Absolutely. Um, And yeah, obviously both of the sides that have topped either group um, are there on merit. Um, Warwickshire have been the best side in the competition so far. Um, And, you know, whoever they play, um, it'll be a good game and vice versa for Leicestershire with, with whoever they play. Um, so yeah, I think should come down to a very good finish to the competition. Yeah, to be honest, Kieran, I completely agree. It, they're just going to be fantastic, aren't they? I mean, obviously we'll discuss Leicestershire as well in due course, but they've had some tournament, haven't they? As did Hampshire, to be fair. Both of those sides winning seven out of their eight matches in Group A this season, which was the group of death. So either of those two sides, I think, look like real contenders for the trophy this season. And we'll have to wait and see how those quarterfinals go. But as I said, folks, if you can get yourself down to Bristol or indeed Southampton, get those tickets because I think both those games are going to be absolutely fantastic to watch, even if you're neutral. I can't wait for them. And yeah, all eyes then will turn to the semi-finals on Tuesday, the 29th of August. But knockout cricket aside, Kieran, because we'll discuss that in next week's review show once we know the two finalists who will face off against each other at Trent Bridge in September. Let's take a look back at proceedings in this third and final week of the group stages. And what better place to start than in Group A? As we know, we've got the top three. That's all secured now. But even aside from those top three, we saw some excellent batting displays over the course of these last seven days. So I'll be interested to know who you selected for this category, mate. What did you choose as your standout batting display in Group A over the course of this third week? Um, I have long been a firm believer that lower order runs are some of the best runs um, due to the fact, obviously, a lot of the time you don't really expect guys that bat lower down the order to be scoring your runs. Um, So for me, um, I have gone for Martin Anderson's 100 from 81 balls um, for Middlesex against Nottinghamshire. Um, For He's either batted number nine or number seven exclusively this season other than that knock where he was promoted to number six um and it was very much a lower order innings um for the most part um sort of very leg sidey quite good on the pull but there are a lot of like 
sort of hacks across the line. Um, but then to give him his credit, he very much grew into the innings um, and a lot of proper shots began to come out. Um, and like, as he got through the 80s and 90s, there were three cover drives for four that were like very, very nice shots and just sort of showed the confidence that that grew in him as the knock went on, sort of in contrast to the sort of lower order style of just wherever the ball is, sort of play across the line and, and hope to get some runs where as he got later into his innings and further towards the 100, some genuinely very nice shots started coming out. Um, and I think before that knock, his highest list A score was 42, um, if I'm not incorrect. So um, to get 100 and to do it in the fashion that he did um, was, for me, the standout um, performance. I know there's, there's been some very good knocks um, in Group A, um, but for me... Um, just, you know, due to my um, enjoyment of, of lower order batters scoring runs, basically, um, and the, the fact that it was obviously a very good innings as well, um, it's Martin Anderson. Fair enough, mate. I really do respect that shout. And it was wonderful to see, wasn't it, a maiden list day century for Martin Anderson. He's been involved in that Middlesex setup for a number of years, and to see him raise that bat, take the helmet off and celebrate three figures for the first time in the one-day format was absolutely wonderful. So... Yeah, to be honest, I think that's a great shout. I wasn't expecting it, to be honest, because we have seen some higher scores than that. But again, it was a wonderful moment, a great knock at Radlett. And yeah, Martin Anderson definitely deserves a lot of credit for that knock, as you said, Kieran. Great, great shout to kickstart our batting displays in Group A. But to be honest, aside from that Anderson knock, which actually, funny enough, was one of my honourable mentions, alongside Anari Donald's 106 against Kent on the Isle of Wight, I've gone with two Kent batting displays. I've had to bite the bullet this week, Kieran. I just couldn't pick between them. And that's not often that this happens, but both for very, very different reasons. So first and foremost, Daniel Bell Drummond, that 150 against Hampshire was unbelievably good. Just classy, majestic, imperious. Daniel Bell Drummond's at his utmost best. It was an absolute clinic in white ball crickets, timing the absolute leather off the ball. It was fantastic to watch, and yeah, he was a revelation for Kent. They were struggling in the early exchanges of the tournament. He came back from his involvement at the 100, completely changed things around. They got some momentum. Unfortunately, it did come a little bit too late to get through to those knockout rounds, but Deeps had some tournaments, and that was almost like the coup de grace of his entire time in this year's Metro Bank One Day Cup, so had to give that a mention. And then the other one in this joint first batting display was Jack Leaning's 137 out. And the reason why I had to choose this one was because of that final over, hitting Aaron Beard for 27 runs. Up until that point, he'd batted very well. He'd just taken his time, he was biding his time at the crease, and he was just setting up for some lower order fireworks. But to score 27 runs in that final over completely changed the momentum, completely changed the complexion for Kent, ultimately helped them go on to win this game. For those reasons, I also had to choose Jack Leaning. And as if that wasn't already enough, took two for 32 with the ball in hand. So I, I did almost have a little bit of a cop out this week. It doesn't happen often, but I, I really enjoyed both those innings. So my joint best batting displays in Group A for this week were Jack Leaning's 137 outs and Daniel Beldrummond's impeccable 150. I thought those two were absolutely magnificent for Kent over the course of these past seven days. But Kieran, aside from batting, let's turn our attention to the other art form in the game of cricket. Let's talk about bowlers. 
What was your standout bowling display in Group A this week? I'd absolutely love to know who you've selected for this. Uh, this one was a little bit easier than the batting. Uh, obviously, as you say, there were there were a few knocks that were higher than uh, Martin Anderson's 100. Um, but uh, for me, quite easy to pick um, Ian Holland's 535 um, against Surrey for this one. Um, a massive contribution to bowling Surrey out for 203 um, and basically just started things off on the right foot. Um, and, you know, the rest of bowlers around him um, chipped in as well to restrict Surrey to, to that score of 203 and then just a commanding performance from from the Hampshire side um, in all to knock it off two down. Um, and, you know, as we alluded to earlier, Ian Holland's been in very good form with the ball um, throughout the one-day cup. Um, he had three for 12 of eight overs against Yorkshire as well, which is another um, honourable mention. And there's a few more times that he's taken um, a couple of wickets, um, but the 5.35 was the standout in um, a very good win for Hampshire. So it was quite simple, um, that decision for me. To be honest, Kieran, I've gone completely the same. I've also chosen that display from Ian Holland at Woodbridge Road because, as you said, it was just an impeccable display of bowling, wasn't it? Five for 35. Yes, you can argue that it was a weakened and inexperienced Surrey side, but he still got the two big wickets, didn't he? Dom Sibley and Rory Burns also chipped in with the wickets of Conor McCurt, Tommy Elam and Dan Moriarty, as he did ultimately see his side home and, yeah, got them basically to the win. As you said, a commanding victory for Hampshire in Guildford this week. And that primarily was down to that first innings efforts from Ian Holland because he bowled magnificently well. And if we look over the course of this year's tournament, he's currently the joint second lead and wicket taker. So he's taken 17 wickets at an incredible average of 13.94. He's having a wonderful tournament. He's been a revelation with the ball in hand for Hampshire. And as I mentioned beforehand, I think he'll be a real handful for those Worcestershire batters on Sunday. So watch out for Dutchie. Uh, I do think that he'll probably come into his elements heading into these pressure stages of this year's Metrobank One Day Cup. But uh, aside from that performance as well, Kieran, I did just want to mention one other one, and that was also against Surrey, funnily enough. But uh, Will Williams taking four for 30. I thought, again, he's had a very good week, bought exceptionally well at Welbeck, completely changed the, the complexion of that innings as well. Him and Tom Bailey, that opening stint between those two, had knots at 1.42 for five basically put Lancashire in a winning position right from the get-go. So thought I'd also give Will Squared a, a bit of a shout-out on this week's podcast because, as I said, him and Tom Bailey really have been exceptional with the white ball in hand in particular in those first 10 overs. But uh, aside from bowling displays, Kieran, let's turn our attention now to arguably my favourite category because this is what the Metrobank One Day Cup is about. It's about developing the next generation of players and we get the opportunity to witness these future stars grow. So in terms of the under 25 player of the week in Group A, who have you selected, mate? Um, I couldn't go without speaking about a Yorkshire player um, this week. It's not been a fantastic um, competition for Yorkshire. Um, Obviously, you know, the season's not been fantastic in all, um, in any format really. Um, But as you say, um, the competition gives young players a chance to to thrive. Um, and the, the guy that I've gone for is Harry Duke, um, who hasn't really got many opportunities um, in any other format over the last couple of seasons, um, but has done um, in the One Day Cup. I think he's played every game um, and has opened the batting 
despite you know being a wicket keeper. Obviously, usually your wicket keeper is generally around number seven. Um, he's been given the responsibility to open the batting, um, and he hit 93 not out from the top of the order in a chase of 242 against Surrey, um, which included a 33-run final wicket partnership with Dom Leach. Um, that could have been difficult to navigate for, for a young player. Um, he's only 21 years old. Um, he actually let Leach bat while still just going about his business at the other end, um, and they both managed to get Yorkshire over the line. Um, Duke's knock of, of 93 obviously saw him open the batting and was there at the end. Um, and the next highest score um, for Yorkshire was 32. Um, so obviously did a lot of heavy lifting um, and was there in a dramatic finish. Um, so for me, that was my um, standout under 25 performance of the week. And can we just say what a game of cricket that was at York Cricket Club? Goodness me, that was just Metro Bank heritage, wasn't it? Let's face it again, we've had some incredible run chases over the course of these group stages, but that really was a highlight, wasn't it? And obviously for Yorkshire fans, something to celebrate in what's been a very difficult campaign, but great suggestion, to be honest, Kieran. I really do rate that. And again, he was actually on my list as one of the honourable mentions because it was a great performance, displayed maturity beyond his years, was just ruthless, wasn't he? Clinical in the in the, in the the scenarios and the, the game situations where it required him to be. And goodness me, he did put those sorry bowlers to the sword in particular in those last few overs. So, yeah, Harry Duke, very, very good shout indeed. And it, it does feel as though we've we've mentioned sorry a lot without mentioning their young talent, but just someone again who I put down as an honourable mention, purely because he came in on debut and scored a pretty brisk 30, was Krish Patel. He wasn't even meant to play in that final game against Essex, but Rory Burns unfortunately suffered an injury before the game. He came in in the middle order and he looked completely at home. So for those reasons, I've gone with Chris Patel also as an honourable mention. Same with Luke Griffiths, because again, brand new tournament for him. First time ever playing first 11 cricket for Surrey, which is a massive honour. There's a lot of pressure associated with that. And yeah, finish off the innings in, in some style, didn't he? In that game at Chelmsford. So yeah, as much as, as Surrey have struggled at times, the future as always seems to be the case in South London. Does look very bright indeed. But Aside from those honourable mentions, the player I've selected is actually a Hampshire player. And to be honest, he's probably one of my favourite younger players on the entire circuit right now. And that's Tom Prest. The the former England under-19 captain is just in magnificent form. He, he really is. It was wonderful to see him score 105 in that game, fully enough, against Yorkshire up at York Cricket Club. But as if that wasn't enough, he also followed up with a very useful 78 against Kent in that game on the Isle of Wight. So. I just look at him as a prospect. He can score all around the ground. He's very strong on the offside. And I always think that's a that's a, a barometer of a very talented cricketer. When you can score the lion's share of your runs on the offside, it shows that you've got an adaptive game. It shows that you've got an air of class and panache about your batting, per se. And yeah, Tom Press, goodness me. This boy is going a very, very long way in the game of cricket. So even though it's early days, he's still only 20 years old. I've selected him as my under-25 player of the week. And yeah, if you're a Hampshire fan, you seem to have a very, very good talent on your hands, to say the very least. But Kieran, aside from our under-25 players of the week, our stand-up batting and bowling displays in Group A, let's turn our attention to our fourth and final category for the Group A group stage. And that is, of course, our team of the week. Which county did you select as the team of the week in this third and final week of action? 
in Group A? Um, I have already sort of alluded to the side that I have chosen. Um, I think you could um, make an argument for for Leicestershire. Um, You know, we've sort of mentioned how good they've been throughout the tournament, Um, which, you know, obviously um, top in the group sort of shows how good they've been. Um, But for me, um, as previously alluded to, Hampshire have have strung together uh, a run of very good performances, um, some of which, you know, against against some good sides. Um, The wins against Kent um, and Lancashire, particularly um, two sides that have also both been up there um, and they were sort of the, the tighter um, wins of the of the four that they've strung together over the past week. Um, the, the Kent one chasing 326, which, you know, is no, it's not a small um, chase by any means um, and just over and over to spare in that chase, um, you know, the, the fine margins um, and just being able to get over the line. Um, and the Lancashire performance, managing to fold them out um, late on again to win by 13, sort of the opposite um, way around to the, to the victory um, against Kent. And then I, I've already mentioned that the dominant um sort of demolition of, of Yorkshire by 177 runs. Um, you know, that's one of the best uh, and most dominant performances of the season. Um, and then the Surrey one, as I've already mentioned a couple of times, another very commanding victory. So the styles of the wins have, have been very different and, and they've done it in different ways, but they've always found a way to get it, get it done. Um, and there's been guys with the bat and with the ball um, and a lot of different people have, have chipped in and, and ensured that, that Hampshire have had uh, a very good week and just a very good group stage to this point. Um, so although Leicestershire have also been very good, um, and I think I probably chose them last week, um, it would be remiss not to mention Hampshire. Um, so, yeah, those there with Hampshire are the side that I've gone for this week. Fair enough, and some very sound reasons why. They just look incredibly strong, don't they? I know I mentioned it earlier, but their bowling attack, goodness me, it's scary, isn't it? I don't know how on earth Hampshire seem to do this, but every single year, regardless of how many players are missing through injury or their involvement in the 100, they just seem to bring up these incredibly young, talented seamers. So this year, for example, it's Eddie Jack and Dom Kelly and also Scott Curry as well. Like It's ridiculous, the consistency with which they're able to churn out these quality seam bowlers and... Yeah, it's paying off, isn't it? And then look at the batting as well. Ben Brown, Nye Donald, Fletcher Middleton, Tom Prest. Goodness me, that Hampshire team do look very strong indeed. And as you said, Kieran, they did have a wonderful week, did the Rose and Crown. But I decided to switch it up ever so slightly. I didn't go with the Rose and Crown of Hampshire. I went with the Red Rose of Lancashire. And the reason why I selected them as my team of the week, to be honest, more than anything, was that final game against Notts in Welbeck. That was essentially a game of knockout cricket. And they absolutely demolished them. I mentioned beforehand that that new ball spell from the likes of Tom Bailey and Will Williams, that set up the game absolutely masterfully from those two. And then Keaton Jennings, a magnificent century, made things look easy. Stephen Croft coming in, scoring 38 as well, guiding the chase when his team needed him the most. They just look very impressive to the Red Rose of Lancashire. So for those reasons, and of course their victories against Middlesex and Surrey, I've gone with Lancashire as my team of the week. And Again, you look at teams maybe peaking at the right time of a tournament. Could Lancashire potentially be that team? We'll have to wait and see. 
heading into Friday's quarterfinal down in Bristol against Gloucestershire. But, but Kieran, aside then from our chats about Group A, our final chat about Group A for 2023, a very bittersweet moment. Let's turn our attention to Group B because, yet again, the cricket that we've seen in Group B this week has been absolutely exhilarating. So, in terms of your standout batting display, mate, there might be a pretty obvious one, to be honest, coming from a certain Somerset opener, but what have you selected as your batting display of the week in Group B? Uh, I have actually not gone for the obvious. Um, Yeah, it it is a shock. Um, You you would have to give credit to um, Andrew Mead for his tournament um just seems every time you look at a Somerset scorecard to have hit runs um and has obviously hit a few hundreds um for me um I have actually chosen somebody who I was going to choose a few weeks ago before he was usurped by Prithvi Shaw um which is David Beddingham um for his 152 against Warwickshire um crucially in a one run win um, the initial turn itself came in 91 balls and then he accelerated ridiculously quickly to the 150, moving between the 100 and the 150 in 16 balls, um, including 22 in the space of four balls off Craig Miles um, in an over of 25. Um, Miles trying to bowl Yorkers, which was the right thing at that stage of, of the innings, trying to restrict the runs that Durham could get. Um, and just got three in a row, ever so slightly wrong, ended up being low full tossers and got banged for three brutal sixes um, and then slapped for four and then Beddingham took another couple and then one and then I think it was either four or six um, at the start of the next over before getting out. Um, but the, the crucial part is that it was in a one-run win Um because the speed of those runs late in the first innings got Durham to a total, which was very narrowly defendable, given they did win by a run. Um, obviously, very, very fine margins, and Beddingham's late charge allowed them to win. Um, and had he not managed to go as quickly between um, between his 100 and his 150 and just go up the gears like that, um, Durham may potentially not have won and unfortunately for Warwickshire that means that they went seven and one rather than eight and none um you do also have to give credit to Ed Barnard in that game um who hit 161 unfortunately I don't don't know if you could say it was overshadowed by David Beddingham but the fact that Durham win and, and Durham won and Warwickshire didn't um I would just say that um Benningham's knock sort of edged it slightly and just the fact that it was such a brutal knock in the win against the side who have been the best side in the tournament so far, in my opinion. Um, you have to give credit to him for that. You certainly do. And Kieran, you've taken the words completely out of my mouth there, but it was the game of the tournament, wasn't it? Let's face it, a one-run victory for Durham. Even though this was technically a dead rubber, Warwickshire had already basically qualified for that home semi-final. Durham had unfortunately lost their previous game and were out of playoff contention. That didn't stop this becoming one of the best games of list day cricket that I've ever watched. This was 100 overs. We saw 100 overs of top quality cricket edge baston on Sunday the 20th of August. And as you said, David Beddingham and Ed Barnard just put on two of the best list day innings that I've seen in a long time. Because it's not often you see 
almost a tete-a-tete in that way. You don't see both teams having players scoring 150. And in fact, we were furiously looking through Cricket Archive and Cricket Info, just trying to find any incidents of this happening beforehand. It really doesn't happen very often, but those two were just magnificent. And as you mentioned, Beddingham's acceleration was scary because in times gone by, when he's reached 100 in list A cricket, he's gone out immediately. I think his previous best before this was 106 or 112. It wasn't exactly a, a monster knock afterwards, but the acceleration in this particular game, there was an outside chance that he could have beaten Ben Stokes' record for the highest score of a Durham batter against Warwickshire in list A cricket, which was 150. But the fact that Beddingham did it, and he did it in such brutal fashion as well with those fours and sixes, completely dismantled our death bowling, who have been very good so far this summer. Yeah, I think David Beddingham is an absolutely fantastic shout, as is Ed Barnard. And to be honest, Kieran, I've just got to give Ed a, a separate mention because he hadn't even opened the batting before this year. He scored 89 in that showcase game against the, the Warwickshire Club eleven at Sutton Coalfield. And he's just been a revelation, hasn't he? At the top of the order, the second leading run scorer in this year's Metrobank One Day Cup, 590 runs, averaging 84.28, striking 100.68. He scored two centuries, three half centuries to boot. Ed Barnard take a bow. And he's been taking wickets as well. Let's not forget that. He's opening the batting and opening the bowling. So, yeah, Ed Barnard, goodness me, what a signing. We knew he'd be good, but yeah, he's exceeded expectations in this year's Metrobank One Day Cup. And yeah, fingers crossed for Warwickshire fans, he can replicate those performances heading into Tuesday's semi-final. But funny enough, Kieran, I didn't actually select either of those. And I was actually at the game. But as we mentioned beforehand, Kieran, there was another incredibly special knock which took place in Group B this week. And that was, of course, Andy Umid's monster 172 not outs against Derbyshire at the Encora County ground. Now, Andy Umid has just had the tournaments of a lifetime. 613 runs, averaging 87.57, three centuries and two fifties over the course of eight matches for Somerset in this year's tournaments. And he started the week with a very classy 116 against Glamorgan. But the way in which he dismantled, dispatched and demolished that Derbyshire bowling attack was frightening, to be honest. 172 not outs from 147 balls contained 11 fours and six sixes. It was the fourth highest individual score by a Somerset cricketer in the history of list A cricket. So Andy Umi take a bow and he's had some brilliant performances in this year's tournaments. It's great seeing back in county cricket. And yeah, he's just been absolutely wonderful for Somerset in this year's Metrobank One Day Cup. But Kieran, aside then from our batting displays in Group B, let's switch our attention and turn our focus to the bowling displays of the week. Who have you selected as your standout bowler? And what is your standout bowling display in Group B this week? Um, so I will stick with um, the... Durham versus Warwickshire game. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think I, I really need to go into the reasoning why I've already sort of, you know, we, we've mentioned how good of a game it was and and the very fine margins of the win for Durham. Um, and Miguel Pretorius opening the bowling for Durham took four for 50 in his 10 overs. Um, you know, economy-wise, it isn't fantastic for for by any means. Um, but he took some big wickets um, of Rob Yates, Alex Davis, um, and then 
Ethan Brooks and, and Jake Linton a little bit later later on. Um, and, you know, obviously in the end contributed to a one-run win. Um, so I, I think it would be difficult to look past um, Miguel Pretorius for, for that accolade. Fair enough, Kieran. He, he was my honourable mention for that category because it was a special bowling display. That I know four for 50, it's not the most economic in this year's competition when we've seen performances like three for 12 from Ian Holland, but five runs and over is excellence in the modern list safe formats. And it's made even more excellent when you think about the the wider context of this game. For those who saw this match at Edgebaston, the leg side boundary he was bowling to was really short. I think it was about 50 yards, if that's to be completely honest. It's one of the shortest boundaries I've ever seen in the second city. And the control, the discipline that he displayed, in particular that off-stump channel bowling, the classic for any seam bowler, was exceptional. And to be honest, I was counting on my fingers. I think he had one or two bad balls in the entirety of that spell. So Miguel Pretorius, take a bow. I think they were his second best figures in list A cricket. I believe his best figures were four for 21 um, in South Africa. But yeah, they're his best one-day cup figures. So Miguel Pretorius, take a bow. Definitely set up that game, that victory for Durham in quite excellent fashion this week. And talking of Durham seamers, Kieran, I've also selected a bowler from that game. I've chosen Johnny Bushnell. Three for 56, he took one less wickets and he conceded six more runs. But he held his nerve impeccably in that final over. Now, bear in mind that Johnny Bushnell isn't that old. He's only 21 years years of age. And to be honest, he's not ridiculously experienced at bowling. And yet this year, he's worked so hard on on his seam bowling and in particular his death bowling. And I thought he was absolutely brilliant under pressure in that particular game. So he had nine runs to defend in that last over, against Henry Brooks. And Henry Brooks, as we've seen in T20 cricket, can certainly give the ball a good old whack. And yet again, with that off-stump bowling, just hung it outside there, bowled a good line, a good length in that final over, and ultimately conceded just just seven runs in that 50th over to see Durham home to that thrilling one-run victory. So I've gone with Johnny Bushnell. Again, he's someone who, for a lot of people, probably goes massively under the radar, but... I can appreciate a young player really honing their skills and improving their talents in one of the art forms in this game. So Johnny Bushnell, take a bow. I thought he was also absolutely brilliant. And unsurprisingly, those were career best figures in the list A format. So yeah, good week for Durham Seamers, to say the least. Both of them um, being chosen for that category in Group B. So yeah, Johnny Bushnell and Miguel Pretorius. Excellence would be an understatement, to be completely honest. But Kieran, moving aside from our our standout batting and bowling displays, let's take a look at our standout under-25 players. And to be honest, mate, I want to start this category because for me, it's obvious. I've chosen Ollie Price. The price is right in 2023. In 2022, he had a very promising campaign. So he scored 213 runs at 30.42 over the course of eight matches for the glorious Gloucesters. So heading into this season, I was expecting to see a bit more of an improvement. So maybe 300, 350 runs, somewhere around that mark, would have displayed a level of progression in his batting in this format. However, <laughs> he's, he's done a lot better than that, hasn't he? Let's face it, um, at the end of this, this group stage, 514 runs, averaging 102.8. And again, we talk about players single-handedly demolishing bowling attacks. Ollie Price has done exactly that over the course of this week. So, He had an impeccable 109 outs against Glamorgan. He followed that up 
with a quick fire 95 against Sussex. And again, just the, the cherry on top of this incredible cricketing cake was that match-winning 85 not out against Durham in Bristol to wrap up what's been an excellent group stage campaign for both him and his team. So for those reasons and many more, I've gone with Ollie Price. I think he really has been an excellent addition to that Gloucestershire batting lineup over the course of these past two seasons, coming up through the ranks alongside his brother in that academy system. And goodness me, he has got a very, very bright future across formats in this game. So, Kieran, would you agree with that? Have you also chosen Ollie Price, or did someone else maybe catch your eye in that category over the course of these last seven days? I have indeed chosen Ollie Price. I think it would be difficult to to argue with um, the production with the bat over the past three knocks. Um, it's funny you mentioned that um, a, a campaign of three hundred runs would have represented, you know, a good step forward for him. He might as well have done that in the last three knocks. Almost has done two hundred eighty nine runs in, in the last three innings, um, two of which not out. So, you know, it, it's it's an average of. 289 um, in, in those three innings. So, um, yeah, difficult to, to look anywhere else, to be honest. Um, and, yeah, the growth um, has, has come on. He's come on really well this season. Um, and, you know, if he continues to do that, Gloucestershire um, will, will be very well served for the future. They certainly will. And I just think it's absolutely remarkable that, what was it, a couple of months ago, he'd never even scored a century across any formats. And then he broke that metaphorical seal, didn't he, against Yorkshire up at Headingley. And all of a sudden, he can't stop scoring runs. So he really is the danger man, I think, in the entire competition now. I really do, because Andy Umeed obviously hasn't progressed, because Somerset were knocked out. I do think that Ollie Price is the man to watch, which will come with a lot of pressure. There'll be a lot more responsibility on his batting to uphold these standards, but I think that he can rise to the occasion. I really do. So, yeah, we're both in agreement there, Kieran. Ollie Price. Excellent. Excellent to see and wonderful for Gloucestershire fans as well. You've got a real player on your hands heading into the next 5, 10, even 15 years in the form of Ollie Price. So both in agreement there, Kieran. Very nice. But Kieran, aside then from our under-25 player of the week, let's turn our attention to our eighth and final pick across the groups this week, which is, of course, our team of the week. And (laughs) I think I've already made my choice pretty obvious. I've gone with Gloucestershire. I think they've been absolutely wonderful this week. They won their final four matches. Ollie Price looks to be in excellent form. Ben Wells scoring his maiden list a ton. I mentioned the bowling displays earlier. There's not much more I can add. I just think they look like a very complete outfit. The confidence, the self-belief is quite clearly high at the moment. And yeah, I do think if they win the quarterfinals, they're a very, very strong contender to win the entire tournament. So I've gone with the glorious Gloucesters. Obviously, an honourable mention has to go to my county of Warwickshire. Seven out of eight. And when you think about the the one defeat, losing by one run, chasing nearly 340 runs, isn't exactly the worst thing in the world. I think they've done themselves proud over the course of this campaign and we've finally sealed a place in the playoffs of the One Day Cup for the first time since 2016. So I'm absolutely over the moon about that, as I'll discuss on next week's show. But Kieran, have you gone with Gloucestershire or did you select maybe the Bears or the Pears? Who have you gone with? as your standout team in Group B this week? Uh, I have indeed gone for Gloucestershire. Um, it was a little bit of a toss-up between Gloucestershire and Worcestershire, um, to be honest. I think, um, I think I, I've picked Warwickshire both times so far. Um, obviously, they, they haven't won uh, 
obviously they hadn't lost a game um, in the last two episodes, so it would have been difficult to go for anyone else. They have obviously lost a game now. Of course, the very fine margins we have mentioned. Um, you might as well not even call it a loss. Uh, no. Um, yeah. Um, and that um, actually semi-contributes to, to the reason that I've chosen Gloucestershire over Worcestershire. Um, because have both won the last three games on the bounce. Um, I know Gloucester have won the last four, um, but Worcester won, won the last three. Um, obviously, both have reached the knockouts. The reason that that um, Gloucester have edged it for me, um, obviously, other than the fact that they, they've won four on the bounce rather than three, um, is that their wins were just of a little bit higher quality for me um, because... Um, one of the wins was against Durham, who had just beaten Warwickshire, who have the best, been the best side in, in the tournament so far for me. Um, and, and, you know, obviously it's been very difficult for anybody to to put together a good performance against uh, Warwickshire so far this season. So the fact that Durham did it and then Gloucestershire managed to beat Durham um, within their um, four-game winning streak, um, I have chosen Gloucestershire. Um, but you know, certainly Worcestershire have had um, a good week, um, as have Warwickshire, of course. Um, the three best sides have gone through it in that, um, in Group B. Um, but yeah, Gloucestershire are, are the, the informed side at the moment. I'd completely agree with that analysis, to be honest. And yeah, in fairness, we haven't really mentioned Worcestershire in this week's episode. But again, I do think that they've got a good chance on Sunday. It's going to be a very, very tough game, but... They almost have that element of revenge, don't they? After the the demolition that Hampshire handed to them in the in the T Twenty Blast Court Finals, this is a massive moment for redemption, and they've got the talent, haven't they? With the likes of Rob Jones, he's been a great addition to this Worcestershire batting lineup. We've mentioned Cashif Alley, we've mentioned the likes of Gareth Roderick as well, and then of course in the bowling department, Josh Baker, who had a very good week, probably should have been an honourable mention in our under twenty five category. Took three fours in his final two matches, so. Again, just watch out for Worcestershire. Again, I think they're thoroughly deserving of their place in the quarterfinals. And yeah, Group B turned out to be rather good, didn't it? Let's face it, both groups were fantastic. We've been treated to some wonderful cricket. And can I just say one final thing as well? It's been great to see how much this competition has been supported. Not just in the grounds. I mean, we've seen some really healthy crowds at the likes of, of Chelmsford, in Taunton, in Derby, up in the northwest and the northeast. It's been great to see, and all of the outground cricket as well. Welbeck being full. Then, of course, York, which is excellent. So, shout out to every single one of you who has supported this competition. It's a very special competition for a number of reasons. And, yeah, long may it continue. And hopefully, fingers crossed, the weather doesn't play spoil sport for the remainder of the tournament. Because if it stays nice and dry, these final few matches are going to be pulsating. They really are. You've got two very, very closely fought quarterfinals. And then the semis at Grace Road and Edgebaston. Two wonderful venues for list A cricket. So let's wait and see what happens, folks. But yeah, bring on the knockout rounds of the 2023 Metro Bank One Day Cup. But that is essentially it from myself and Kieran for tonight's episode of the Cows Cricket Podcast. To each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there, thank you ever so much for tuning in. And as always, guys, we'll see you on the next one.